Friends, let me thank you for your many expressions of love uh, that you've extended to me and my family and the home going of my mom and the memorial service uh, this past Monday. So uh, thank you. Humbled to be a part of what God is doing here. Let me also add uh, a fresh invitation uh, to the church picnic as soon as this service is over down at Lake Avenue Park. Um, and if you just happen to, to come in, why well, I just really want to encourage you just to jump in. Very informal. Uh, but we provide, what, hamburgers and hot dogs, I think. If uh, you can bring something on the back of the bulletin, bring it. But as Mike said, uh, you can just come and be a meataholic, I guess. And, uh, and uh, some of us, that's our strength anyway. So, uh, so just come. Don't let anything prevent you from coming like that. Uh, so just please come and jump in. Next week, we're going to begin a study of 1 Peter. But this morning with the church picnic and uh, just something God's kind of been stirring in my own heart, I wanted us to look at what it does look like and what it means to be loving our neighbors, loving our neighbors. And so if you would, grab a Bible and turn over to Luke 10 or something you can read the scriptures in. If you don't have a Bible, the page number up there matches the page number of the Bible in the pews there. Very, very familiar story. In fact, this is probably a story that is familiar to people whether they've ever been in church or not, the story of the Good Samaritan. And yet it's amazing how uh, God continues to use it. I mean, it was so uh, convicting in my own heart to just go through it again and to be reminded of... of, uh, uh, the significance of what it means to love our neighbors and what it looks like to love our neighbors. And so let me pray, and then we're going to just jump in there at verse 25. Father, we, uh, we're grateful that you're a one who loves people. Man, are we grateful that you're one who moves towards people and you meet their needs, you have moved towards us, you have met our needs in Christ at great cost to yourself and infinite benefit to us. And so, Lord, as people created in your image and likeness, uh, cultivate this in our own hearts this morning and just give clarity. I just want to pray that your spirit would take your word and they would come together and they would bring life, whatever that needs to look like in each of our hearts and lives. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Now, we looked uh, several weeks ago at the first part of this chapter where Jesus sends out the 70 and uh, uh, with the good news of the life that Christ brings, how they come back, and that amazing debriefing, if you will, of Jesus with the disciples there concluding there in 23 and 24, when he looks at at just the 12, it could be the 70 that he had sent out, and he says, I want you to know that what you get to participate in by taking the good news of Christ to other people and then them receiving it, even as Ben got to experience, what you got to see with your own eyes there causes you to be blessed in a way that the prophets and kings in the Old Testament wish they could see. That's an amazing statement. 
That is an amazing statement. Ben, you got to see things that King David wished he could have seen. That's what he's saying. And then we move into this other scenario in verse 25. And uh, it's probably a little different setting. Jesus is evidently teaching, and everybody around him is seated. And in the midst of that, a lawyer stands up to ask him a question. It says to test him. Now, what is a lawyer when you read lawyer in the passage like this? Well, uh, it's actually very analogous to the lawyers that we have in our own culture and society. A lawyer is one who is to understand what the law says and to know how to apply the law. When it comes to a lawyer like this man here, he is an expert on the Old Testament law, the law of God, what it says, and how one is to apply it. And so he has this very specific question of Jesus. So let's just begin in verse 25 there, and let's read down to verse, uh, well, 27 there. And a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And so we see that this lawyer comes to Jesus and he's come with really the most important question there is in all of life. What must I do to inherit or what must I do to gain eternal life, a life that lasts forever as well as a quality of life whereby we live in relationship with God and experience the life that God gives? And he came to the best person to ask, didn't he? Now, he didn't probably realize that, and in fact, he may have been trying to trip Jesus up. But he, he asked the right person because, after all, Jesus is God, and he is the one who has come so that people might inherit eternal life. Now, he's relatively oblivious to all of that. That's an advantage we have in looking back on that, on this incident. But you'll notice that Jesus responds to his question by asking a couple of questions of them, of him, and these particular questions play to his strengths, his human strengths. He says, what is written in the law? He's asking a man who is an expert on the law of God. And he even goes on to say, how does it read to you? almost introducing the idea that maybe the way you read it isn't the way God intends it. But let's understand how you read it because we need to move from how you read it to the way that God really intended the law to be read and what it is to mean. And this lawyer, this religious expert of the law answered, and he gives a very exact and precise and accurate statement of what God says in the Scriptures. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your might, and you shall love your neighbor as 
yourself. This lawyer did an amazing thing. Because uh, when you think about the law of God, the law of God is where God prescribes how humans are to behave. He, he, he prescribes and describes the right behavior for people. And, and, uh, and so it's all those do's and don'ts, if you will, that in this case we would find in the Old Testament. Now, the, the lawyer would particularly view the law as the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And, and within the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, of course, most of us would then think of what part of the law? The Ten Commandments. Because in, in so many ways, that's a summation of all of the law. But there's even a greater, more succinct summation of all the law than the Ten Commandments, and this lawyer hits the nail on the head. He gets the most succinct capturing of what all of the law says, and, and interestingly, God puts it in the positive of what we are to do, not what we are not to do. And so he says, and let's read this together. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, this isn't just a summation of the law in the Old Testament. It would be good for me to just remind us that the New Testament says exactly the same thing. And so, for example, we can read in Romans, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has what? Fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And here in Romans, what it's saying is, you know, want to know how you love God with all of your being, all of your strength, all your mind, all your soul? You love your neighbor as yourself. That's the pragmatic way that this hammers itself out. And when you're doing that, you have fulfilled all of the law. And so this lawyer got it exactly right, what the law says. But it's one thing, and it's a crucial step to get what God says in Scripture right. But it's only the first step. The second step is you must make the right application. It would be like trying to cross a stream, and you've got to take one step in the middle of the water. You've got to find a rock that is stable to step on. If you don't find a rock that is stable to step on, what? You get wet. If you do not have a right understanding of Scripture, you miss God. And if you miss God, you separated from Him and you experience the consequences of that. But even if you pick out a rock that is stable, what's the next thing that's got to happen? you got to hit the rock. If you miss the rock, even though you understand the rock is there, same thing, you miss God. And that was the fault of this particular lawyer. 
Or let's put it this way. There's two different ways that you can apply the Scripture or apply the law. You can say, I'm doing this, or you can say, I can't do this. This lawyer was convinced that what? He was doing it, wasn't he? He was convinced that he was doing it. He thought that you gained eternal life by doing. And how do we know that? Well, very clearly in verse 29, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Anytime we justify ourselves, that's just the rotten cheese that just, uh, just stinks up the whole thing. It's just a revealer of our hearts. And here he's going to justify himself because he is so convinced that he is living according to that. What he is saying is, I do love God with all of my being, and I love my neighbor as myself. Now, I think we would all understand for anybody to be able to say that, they have an understanding of what that means that that then they're measuring up to. Probably for him, being a Jewish leader, loving your neighbor meant loving fellow Jews and loving fellow Jews that you probably liked or that you wanted to love. And what Jesus does in his great compassion is he tells this parable, which is simply a story based upon what would be reasonable, real events in the life of people, and he makes a very clear spiritual truth to it. In this case, he's making an application to, let me show you what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself, which then would indicate that you're loving God with all of who you are, which then would mean that you are inheriting eternal life. And so he tells this parable that begins in verse 30. And so Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that's about um, 17 miles. And it's about 3,000 drop foot uh, drop in elevation. So it'd be like us uh, walking from here to the Irvine Spectrum. They did this normally, by the way, in those days. And as he was walking down, he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So here's a religious leader that represented people before God, God before people, one of the uh, highest positions of spirituality within their land. And when he sees him, he passes by on the other side. Some have speculated that he was trying to maintain his purity because he couldn't touch a dead body. Maybe he saw half dead as fully dead. Maybe. Likewise, a Levite, a broader category of priest, also when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan. Now understand that the Jews bitterly hated the Samaritans. I mean, there was great animosity 
These were people who lived on the other side of the tracks. These were just uh, the lowlifes. And Jesus introduces him into the parable here, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. And so he paints this picture that describes what it means to love a neighbor as oneself, which then would mean that you're loving God with all of your heart, which then would mean that you're going to inherit eternal life. And interestingly, in the parable, Jesus did not put a lawyer in this parable. Do you notice that? He doesn't, he doesn't go right at the lawyer. He, he picks another uh, respected leader in the community and, and paints them almost as the bad guy so that, in a sense, the lawyer could get an, a point of identification without getting a directly a frontal assault, if you will. And so what is the application that Jesus is making uh, when it comes to loving your neighbor as yourself? Well, let's just look at it this way. First of all, he says, if you're going to love one's neighbor as oneself, you have to love all kinds of people. All kinds of people. You can't just love Jews. You have to love those who are the most despised in your culture. Those that you would go out of your way. What he's saying is here, you do not love people based upon their nationality, you love them based upon their needs. He says loving your neighbor then means also when you see one in need or hurting, what do you do? Try to act like they're not there? Try to avoid them? And I should add a caveat here. Particularly people that have great needs because or through no fault of their own. Now, I suppose you could back this up and say you shouldn't have been traveling alone. Okay, we can always find a way to justify ourselves, right? But what do we say about justifying ourselves? Yeah, that's a dead giveaway, okay? And so, seeing one in need, he, first of all, the passage is very clear. He does what? He feels what? He feels compassion. Here's someone who's beat up and left half dead, and he, he meets this man's needs with the resources that he can bring to the table. And here's, here's some of them. He allows his schedule to be interrupted. I can guarantee this guy did not have built into his day a stop. He was headed either to Jerusalem or Jericho, depending on which way he was going. He had a plan in mind. And he allows... God, to interrupt his schedule, and not just short-term. Secondly, he gets his hands dirty. He uses wine, he uses oil, he bandages up, he takes care of the wounds of this man. He puts him on his donkey, and what does that mean? It means he's now on foot, so that this individual can ride 
And in the vernacular of our day, he gets his ATM card out and says, here's a blank check. Do what it takes to care for him. Right up front, he puts down two days' wages. I had to think, when was the last time I spent two days' wages on somebody I'd never met or didn't know? Ugh. And so Jesus makes a pretty specific application here, doesn't he? What does it mean to be a lover of God and loving our neighbors as ourselves? Now, as he does that, uh, he asks then the question of verse 36. Which of these three do you think, and here's a key word, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And of course, what he is doing here in his great compassion, he, he is backing this lawyer into a corner. In fact, what he's doing is what Hebrews 4 talks about. Hebrews 4 says, the word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It says the word of God can cut down through all of our justifications, all of our rationalizations, all of our reasonableness of how we're right and what's going on and all of our excuses. And, and it just is God's scalpel to divide between the thoughts and the intentions of our heart and to lay them bare because there's no creature hidden from his sight. I mean, he knows this. And all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And God in his kindness exercises his scalpel to lay bare our hearts, not for his sake, but for our sake. For our sake. And that's exactly what he is doing here to the lawyer. He's not trying to win an argument. He's trying to get a lawyer to make a right application of Scripture so that he might truly inherit eternal life. And what has to happen to make that happen? He needs to experience this other response. He needs to come to the point where he says, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I hate the Samaritans. I don't want to spend my money on him. I don't want to spend my time on him. I don't want to get my hands bloody taking care of him. Jesus is trying to bring him to a point of saying, you don't really love God with all your heart. You do not really love your neighbor as yourself. You'd do that for yourself, wouldn't you? What's the answer? Oh yeah, you better believe it. I'd do that for quite a few people, just not that person. <laughs> and Jesus is trying to bring him to the end of himself where he says, I can't do this, and he cries out to God for help. And he recognizes that Jesus Christ has done on his behalf what he couldn't do and he didn't want to do. And that is the gospel, isn't it? That is the good news that we find justification in Jesus Christ and we don't justify our actions anymore. This is what Romans chapter 3 says. It says, but now apart from the law of righteousness of God, 
let me start that again. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known to us, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there's no distinction, doesn't make any difference, Jew, Samaritan, doesn't make any difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a what? As a what? As a gift by what? His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. God is trying to bring this lawyer to the end of himself where he'll say, help. And once a person says help, then they, you're directed to Christ who is the help. And he provides everything that's needed so that we might inherit eternal life. And so let me just pause here this morning, and you might be one who thinks you have get to heaven by what you do. If you think that you get to heaven by what you do, part of what comes with that is you thinking you're doing enough to get to heaven. I have met hardly anybody, I can't think of anybody right off, who thinks you get to heaven by what you do and says, I'm not getting there. Everybody, including myself, before I knew Christ, thought I was getting to heaven by what I did, and I thought I was doing just fine. And God's word comes along like a scalpel and lays that bare through very specific applications like this and says, have you ever walked on the other side of someone who needed your help? You're not going to heaven. You're not going. And what's the point of that? So that we'll say, I can't do this. And we turn and we look to Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And if that's where you're at this morning, that's what God would want you to do. That's the point of this, is to quit doing to inherit eternal life and to look to Jesus who says, it's done. It's done. Because guess who did love every neighbor as himself? Jesus. Jesus did. And so if that's your place, then you should just call upon the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. You'd say, I cannot get there. I need a Savior. Jesus Christ, you're the one who justifies me as a gift by your grace through the redemption which is found in you. Now, if you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what does this story, what does this account, what does this law, loving God with all of who we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves, what does this have to do with us? Well, we're not off the hook or not off the hook, because look down there. Now we do as a fruit of eternal life. You see, the law of God still describes the relationships that we are to have. It still describes the way that we're to relate to God, and we are to relate to each other. And so we've just recognized we can't do it on our own, 
And so we turn to Christ as our Savior. God gives us the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God helps us understand the Word of God, and the Spirit of God gives us a desire and an ability to begin to live more and more the Word of God and, and fulfill the law of God. Not to get us to heaven, but because we're already headed to heaven, and that's what He does in our hearts and lives. So, here we are. We're right back here. And so now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It looks like this. We're loving God, and we're loving our neighbors as ourselves. What does that mean? It means we love all kinds of people. So I don't know what boundaries you have on the kind of people that you want to like and help, but you better just put dynamite right under that and explode it because that's what God's up to. He doesn't want you to like any particular kind of person over another, whether it has to do with nationality, ethnicity, socioeconomic, what their background is. Just explode all of that. Second thing is when you see people who are in need, there should be a sense of compassion for them. Not, uh, they deserve that. Whatever. There should be a sense of compassion because, I mean, even if it's through their own fault, it's sad they're there, isn't it? I hope that's true with us. And especially, again, for those who are not there because of of their own fault. And I suppose we're all there to some extent to our own fault. But those who are there that we're not going to anoint, enable to keep there, because there are those situations. There's a lot of those situations. But those who are there who desperately need our help, I mean, we have to allow our schedules to get interrupted. And we have to allow and be willing to get our hands dirty. And we have to be willing to spend our financial resources on them. Right? I mean, isn't that what this teaches? Some of you are saying, oh God, this is going to take a greater work in me than I think I've ever experienced. And he's saying, yeah, now you're catching on. That's part of the redemptive work of Christ in a follower of Jesus' life is he begins to cultivate a heart in us like Christ has. And I just encourage you to do a fresh reading through the Gospels and notice how Jesus does this. Notice how Jesus does this. He's no longer here physically. Guess who's supposed to be doing it? On his behalf and in his name. Look in the mirror. Here we are. Here we are. And so this is what he calls us to. Now, along these lines, I was really challenged with this a few months ago. But let me ask you this. What's the difference between asking somebody how you're doing and asking them how you're doing loving others? This has totally messed with me. Because one of them Jesus is getting at here. See, Jesus wasn't asking the guy who made the trip how he was doing. He was asking him, how's he doing loving others? And especially in our culture today that is so egocentric, 
It's all about me, myself, and I. It always has been, but some cultures cultivate it more than others. It tends to be the very affluent, easy cultures, and we live in one. It's all about how am I doing? How are people helping me? How are people being friendly to me? How are people loving me? How am I getting what I want? How comfortable am I, right? Is that right? And Jesus flips that on its head. He totally flips it on its head. Now, there's nothing wrong with the question, how are you doing? So don't think I'm beating you up on that. Because if I'm beating you up, I'm beating me up. I've asked that question zillions of times. And sometimes there's a context in which when you say, how are you doing, it's understood what the context is. You just lost a loved one. You're in the midst of a really difficult work situation. So sometimes there's a context out of which that's a very appropriate and specific question. But you see how it doesn't get to loving our neighbors as ourselves? That, that's a question that could end at loving yourself. And what Jesus says is we need to move it, and the question needs to be how am I loving other people? Because that's the summation of the law. Love your neighbors as yourself. I think three Sundays ago, um, Brian Howard talked about God's view of work. And, and he just talked about how God created us in his image and likeness to work because he's a worker. And when we work, we bring benefit to other people, we bring glory to God, and we bring a sense of satisfaction and contentment to our own hearts because it's consistent with who God created us to be. And I want to submit to you the same thing is true here. We are created in the image of God, and God is, is one who cares about people. Do you agree with that? He loves people. I mean, he gave his only begotten son to meet the needs of people who really screwed up their lives through their own choices and deserve hell, right? And so God is a God like that. I mean, we go back to that list. God's done all of those things, interrupted his schedule. It cost him a lot. What was the other one up there? ATM. Oh, and got his hands dirty. He had to put his own son to death. And, and so we're created in that image and likeness. So guess what happens when we love other people? We're functioning in the image and likeness of God. We bring benefit to people. We bring glory to God. And within us, there's a sense of contentment and satisfaction. And one of the travesties of our day is that we keep thinking People need to love me more. People need to meet my needs more because there's a hole in my heart. It'll never get filled that way. We weren't designed that way. Get over yourself and start loving other people and all of a sudden, your heart will get filled and you will have a sense of satisfaction. And it's as prevalent in the church as any place else, I think. And so... How are you we doing loving other people? Now, I want to challenge us um, to make a very particular application of this between now and Christmas. You don't have to stop at Christmas, okay? 
But I found that sometimes uh, particularly focusing on something uh, helps cultivate it in all of our life. And there's plenty of ways to do this with Harvey and Irma. Aren't you glad your name isn't Harvey or Irma? Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> I've always wondered about naming these things after people. Uh, does that scar you for the rest of your life? I don't know. Anyway, there's plenty of ways to love our neighbors across our nations with this earthquake in Mexico people there. I mean, there's plenty of ways to love our neighbors, and we should be faithful to that. But I want to encourage all of us to focus on a particular application of loving our neighbors, and that is the people who live right around us. In our apartment building, in our condo, on our street. I want us to to make a particular focus to love them between now and Christmas. Now, some of you are brand new, and so you're actively trying to figure out who the people are and love them. Some have been like us in a neighborhood for decades, and it's easy to grow numb. Or it's easy to say, I feel guilty, but I haven't done it for 25 years. Why would I do it now? Because Jesus calls us to, maybe? And so I just want to really encourage us Uh, to do this, um, and to love them without what? Distinction. And to look upon them as with compassion and to meet needs. So let let me just suggest some things. Let me suggest that we, between now and Christmas, commit to prayer walking our neighborhoods. Now, what does a prayer walk look like? It looks like, if it was Camilla and I, it looks like the two of us taking a walk but we're praying while we walk. People wouldn't know we're praying. You know, we're not with our eyes shut, stumbling into cars and (laughs) people honking to get out of the street. Nobody knows we're praying, but we know. Because we have a belief that God knows what's going on in our neighborhood better than we do. And he wants people to get saved. He wants people to know the goodness of who he is. So, so just to figure out what frequency would be good for you. I'd really encourage you to do this with your kids. I mean, you know why most of us don't even think about this and feel uncomfortable? Because we weren't discipled in this. Let's put our kids in a better place. Let's just put them in a better place. Just walk down. In fact, some of them are better prayers than we are. And, and so just, just, just figure out what frequency you want to do. And if you're like me, you've got to put it on the to-do list and you put it on the calendar and just make it happen. Uh, next one, imagine this. Talk to our neighbors. Actually, if you're out prayer walking, you know, if, someone, if you bump into a neighbor, you don't say, I can't talk to you right now, I'm praying. <laughs> you just take that as an answer to the prayer, right? And you talk to them. Just talk to them. Um, It's just so important to be in our neighborhoods walking and uh, bumping into people when we see people out making a specific intention. And God has the ability for our neighbors who, you know, open the garage door, drive in, shut the garage door and get out. He has the ability to break the garage door or something so that we can talk to them. Uh, When we see a need or opportunity, both give and receive. When we see a need or opportunity, just give. You know, when you see the fire truck show up at one of your neighbor's houses, go down and find out what's going on. 
or as the rentals experienced in their neighborhood not too long ago, Ryan and Tricia, uh, one of their neighbors had a fire. And their neighborhood jumped in there and, and, and helped them. Um, and let me just say, as much as giving, if you have a need, receive. Receive. Okay? Christians have needs. And it's one of the ways we build relationships. And just think about some possible ways to get your neighborhood together. Now, some of you live in communities and neighborhoods that you already do this. That's the coolest thing. But some of, some of us live in a place where we're going to have to make this happen. Now, some of you are really good at this. And so I think of the 4th of July with uh, Okies and the Sutherlands. They had a block party, right? And they just provided an opportunity for people to come and hopefully blow up a lot of things other than themselves. <laughs> okay? So there's those kinds of things. What's coming up between now and Christmas? Halloween. Halloween. So maybe you'd want to have a bounce house out on your front yard. Or, I don't know, turn your house into a haunted house or something. I don't know what to do. I mean, the Spirit of God's way better at giving you ideas than I am. All I'm saying is, think of ways to serve your neighbors and, and just see what might happen. Now, if there's a particular need that comes up, or if... Um, or if you want to do something like that and your financial resources are limited, you figure out what you can do, you contact us as a church and we'll come alongside you and help you, okay? We'll fuel what you're doing. Now, if you come and say, we can't do anything, we want the church to do it, no, your heart's not in it. <laughs> you don't really want to love your neighbors as yourself, you just want us to love your neighbors. We're here about helping you to love your neighbors as yourself, and we will help that, okay? We'd be glad to help, but we're not going to jump in and do it all for you. And so all kinds of things that we can do, and uh, as we begin to ask each other more, how are you doing loving your, your neighbors? How are you doing loving other people? It'll just, it, it'll fuel ideas, right? That's kind of the way this works in such a healthy way. Now, let me just suggest a couple of, of church outreach opportunities that are coming up that you might be thinking about inviting people to. Uh, certainly, you can invite them every Sunday. But um, in our next class cycle, we're having a, psych, uh, a class on conflict. Right, Ed? Conflict. Anybody you know experience conflict? Okay. And so, you know... A husband, a wife, a child comes to you and says, you know, we're about to kill each other. Um, you jump in and do what you can do, but, but have them jump into this class. Now, this is going to be a unique class for us because it's going to be taught bilingually in Spanish and English, okay? So they don't even have to know English if they know Spanish. If they don't know either one of those two, why, okay, we'll have to figure something else out. But, but have them jump in. Uh, some of our classes are uniquely applicable to the needs of the people living around us. And feel free to invite them and bring them with you. We're going to do our Operation Christmas Child on the afternoon evening of November 8th. I mean, that's something that just communicates to people. And so just bring them, and it'll be very similar to what we did last year of, uh, of wrapping things and sending those gifts around the world the following Sunday, uh, we're going to do an outreach service on Sunday morning 
with David and Angela Couch. They're going to share their stories of God's redemptive work in their lives. And uh, we'll have food afterwards and sweets, and we'll do what we did similar to our fall outreach uh, last year. So that's on November 12th, and then we move right into Christmas. Christmas is always a good opportunity. Christmas this year is on Monday. And so our Christmas Day service was such a hit for many of you. And for some of you who couldn't do Christmas Eve because of family schedules, you brought visitors on Christmas Day. So we made a commitment we were going to do something on Christmas Day. And then we looked at the calendar and realized that means Christmas Eve is on Sunday. So we're just going to go all out. We're going to do Sunday morning, Christmas Eve, Monday, Christmas Day. Now, don't feel any guilt that you have to be at all those, okay? But we're going to do them because your schedules, my schedule are all over the place. Well, actually, that is my schedule. But your schedule, <laughs> and, and I'm okay with that. I love the opportunity, okay? But, but just figure out when your family can come that doesn't know Jesus, when your neighbors can come, and you just come when they can come. And if they can't ever come, you come anyway, okay? All right. So let's, let's just make it a particular prayer focus and emphasis to love our neighbors, the ones living right around us between now and Christmas. What do you think? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. I mean, the only reason that we have any relationship with you is because you sought us and you have done an amazingly uh, redemptive work. It's been so messy. It's cost you a lot. And yet, how great it is. God, build that heart into us, particularly with the people who live on our street, right there in our neighborhood. Spirit of the living God, would you be pleased to use us as great lovers and ambassadors to those people right there around us? Would you be pleased to bring them right into your family so we could add that relationship to being physical neighbors? And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Please stand.